All right. So it's Rosh Hashanah. It is 5780, right? We've hit the 80s. And, uh, uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah is a kind of an interesting uh, holiday. First of all, traditionally, uh, you know, when, you, when we think of Rosh Hashanah, especially here, you know, uh, it's the begin. like I said at the very beginning of the service, it's the beginning of the journey through this uh, season. It's a very rich season when we really get the most out of it and we really pay attention to it, you know. It's a very rich season of drawing closer to God uh, and even communally to one another. We have a variety of services and special events. And, and when we really take the time, it, it can be really uh, life-changing. Uh, it's true that every, uh, every season of the year is a journey, and we should be repentant all the time. Uh, we should always be in the process of being reconciled to God. We should always be restored uh, uh, to Him. But God knows us, so He gives us a particular time of year where He says, focus on this, right? You know, uh, many years ago, I, I used to like to say that uh, God uh, uh, said to the Jewish people, He said, take out your day timer. Remember that? Right? Uh, and uh, here are the dates when I'm going to meet with you. Now, of course, God meets with us all the time, right? Uh, but there are specific times of year when He says, okay, now I want you to focus. You know, I want to meet with you. So this is one of those times of year. When we think of uh, Rosh Hashanah, the, the Jewish New Year, so we think of repentance, right? Lots of prayers uh, about uh, repenting. But it's kind of, it, there's like a dual personality to Rosh Hashanah, right? Because, I, you know, I was thinking about this. When I was uh, growing up and uh, celebrating Rosh Hashanah, so we'd go to the service of course, the, the shofar is the thing you remember, the blowing of that ram's horn, right? But then uh, we would come home. The main services is not at night, uh, traditionally. We do it that way because it works for us, right? But the, really, uh, if someone who's going to a service tonight in, in, in a synagogue, it's, it's really a, uh, it's, it's a short service uh, that's the beginning of the holiday. The big service is in the morning. Okay, and when you're outside of the land of Israel, when you're outside of Israel, it's two days, basically the same service with some differences, different Torah reading, that kind of thing, uh, for two days. If you're in Israel, it's only one day, right? Uh, but if you're if you're uh, outside of the land, it's supposed to be two days. Well, we do an evening and a morning, and make it like two services. All right, so that's important to know. Uh, um, uh, but. I, I, what I was saying is, so it, when we come home from the service, it's not like we're not fasting. I, it's kind of the opposite. You have this big meal, a big celebration, right? 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 Uh, all the relatives come, and that, that is in my head. In my head, Rosh Hashanah, you, yes, you got the long service. You get to hear the blowing of the shofar. Then you come home. And man, I remember my grandma's matzo ball soup. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, you have matzo ball soup lots of times of year, by the way. Okay, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, gefilte fish, and the whole thing. You know, the just a great big big meal. And then in the, later in the afternoon, the tradition is to go and visit relatives. 
like you visit relatives. So, you know, you're not like repenting all day. So what is it? Is it a happy holiday or is it a sad holiday? What are we doing on, on, uh, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, uh, right? And, uh, and I think that that epitomizes the, the confusion that we have some happy new year. What, what's the happy new year? It's, you know, are we whipping ourselves over our sins or are we saying happy new year? Which, you know, which one is it, right? Well, of course, <clears throat> you know, it's a little bit of both. Uh, and it's very interesting what, uh, <clears throat> first of all, what the Bible says about it, and then what our ancestors, the, the rabbis, uh, had to say about it. First of all, in the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 23, that's really the passage for this holiday. And you can turn there. <clears throat> you always know where Rosh Hashanah is because it's Leviticus 23.23 and, and the next couple of verses. One of the great verses in the Bible Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, right? That verse is repeated many times in the Torah. But verse 24 says, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. Okay, so it's called uh, Shabbaton Zikaron Truah. Okay, none of those words mean Happy New Year. Okay, I, uh, okay just, just so you know. A Shabbaton, a special Sabbath of remembrance, zikaron, remembrance. And then the next word just says truah. And, so we ha- and to say it in English, you have to add other words in order to make a sentence out of it. And that is by, by, making, by blowing trumpets is what we usually say. But... Literally, we could say by making a noise, by, um, by a loud sound, right? Truah. Uh, and I hope that you uh, had the opportunity to take a look at the, um, the introduction that I sent out uh, this, uh, this past week. Uh, basically, a little introduction to the holidays, an introduction to, uh, to uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, there, you have all kinds of information about... What, these, what the words mean in this passage and, and so on, uh, so, that, um, so that you could, uh, you know, you could have that and, uh, and, and know uh, the basics of, of the holiday. But nowhere does it say New Year. It just says it's a reminder. It's a zikaron. It's a remembrance. Some uh, translations say a memorial, right? You might say memorial in your Bible, right? A remembrance. So we're supposed to remember something, but it doesn't tell us what, right? It just says a memorial, a remembrance. And so the, the way that it gets its meaning, is, and this is how so much, this is how Judaism works. If the text doesn't really tell us very much, then what we have over the course of many, many years, you have oral traditions that develop that give it meaning, and that tell us all kinds of things about it. So that's basically how it becomes the new year. Like, like, you know, the, like from creation, for example, right? That's a tradition. Uh, it's not in the Bible uh, anywhere. It's a tradition. Uh, that's how we get the, the year, uh, 5780, okay? 
So it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. And there's, there's other things you could read at another time. As we like to say, it's beyond the scope of our little uh, uh, message here to talk about where that comes from and all that. But just so you know, okay, it's a tradition. Not a bad tradition, but I'm just saying that's, that's how we get it. Now, why is the seventh month the new year, right? My guess is, is that not all of us are aware that it isn't the, the, the first month. And, and you know what? I will tell you that I did not know that Rosh Hashanah was in the seventh month until I was reading a little pamphlet about uh, believing in Yeshua when I was investigating the claims of the Messiah. And, and uh, so I was reading about the holidays and how they point to the Messiah. And so here I'm reading, and it says here that, that uh, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, is in the seventh month. And you know what my reaction to that was? Aha! I got them! Right? See, they're ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. Right? And so then uh, I looked uh, in the Bible, and whoa, there it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's in the uh, seventh uh, month. Why, the, uh, why is the seventh month the, uh, the new year? Okay, so this is helpful in understanding the relationship of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot of the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The seventh month is the beginning of the rainy season. It's the be- like the beginning of the agricultural, at least in ancient Israel, I'm, I'm like intimidated uh, to say anything about uh, uh, <laughs> about Israel today. But anyway, <laughs> at least what I've read. <laughs> okay, uh, so that that the month of Tishrei, which is beginning now, now that it, the sun is uh, has gone down, it's the beginning of the rainy season, the beginning of planting agriculture and, and so on. So it's the beginning, of the, and that agriculture plays a very important role in the Bible uh, in the holidays and why you have three pilgrimage feasts and, uh, during harvest seasons and, 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 and so on. All right, And so when you read uh, uh, some of the rabbinic literature, you get the idea that it's almost like three steps, that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are both to prepare us for Sukkot, for this great uh, celebration. You know, in other words, we need to repent, be right with God, be reconciled for Sukkot. It's kind of interesting. In today's world, I, I, the high holy days is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and not Sukkot. Sukkot is a minor holiday in, in Judaism. You know, it, it's, uh, it's like, oh, the high holy days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Oh, Sukkot. <laughs> you know, it's like there too, you, you know? Uh, but in the Bible, it is a very important holiday, uh, as well as, it, very interestingly, uh, in a lot of the uh, literature of the uh, of the rabbis, it's kind of just kind of interesting. Okay, so the way that we understand it as a time of repentance is because of its relationship to the context of it, where where it falls uh, during the year. That it's ten days before uh, Yom Kippur, and so therefore, because it doesn't tell us anything else. That it is, therefore, it is the time of preparate, the beginning of the preparation for uh, the Day of Atonement. 
And so we hear the sound of the shofar, we wake up, we repent, uh, and then the, the ten days of awe uh, are, are designed for us to think introspectively and ask forgiveness and receive forgiveness of others so that we're prepared for the Day of Atonement. And very interestingly, by the way, that forgiveness of people, that you know, horizontal forgiveness is very, very important uh, in preparing for uh, Yom Kippur. And that, doesn't that remind you of a particular passage, by the way, uh, in the Brit Hadashah scriptures? Yeshua, it's very, very interesting that in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua talks about the importance of forgiveness, of uh, forgiving uh, one another, right? Uh, you read about it in the fifth uh, chapter of, uh, of uh, Matthew. It's just, it says in verse 23 of chapter 5, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge, the judge to the officer, and be, be thrown in, in prison. So the point there is uh, how important it is uh, to forgive uh, one another uh, in order to come before God. And isn't that interesting that on these uh, high holy days, that it's not just asking God to uh, forgive us, but the forgiveness of one another is very, very important. And, uh, and that goes back. It's, you know, it's in the Mishnah, which uh, is oral tradition that's written down, and it was written down around 200. Uh, so nobody knows uh, you know, exactly in the first century you know, if Yeshua was thinking about that, but it, isn't it interesting? Uh, that here he talks about this kind of the same thing, the same kind of theme that the uh, our, our sa the ancient sages talked about. So maybe we could call Yeshua one of the ancient sages. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. All right. I now I there are three themes though I, during the service uh, again that don't exactly have to do with repentance, but there are three themes. Uh, that uh, that we talk about and that come to mind uh, at uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, and when I say you know where does this come from, this this is a just traditional Jewish thinking, okay? Uh, and again, it's in that information that I sent out. It's all there. So the first one is called Malchuyot or kingship, okay? That God is king. This reminder that God is king, right? The second one is called zikaron, or remembrance, uh, remembering our, our history, remembering the covenant relationship. And the third one is simply called shofar, which points back to Mount Sinai and the experience uh, of what took place, uh, of what took place at, uh, at Sinai. And you know, uh, right in our uh, machzor, we have been reading about all three of those themes already, okay? For example, uh, in our responsive readings uh, in the Amidah, uh, we read 
uh, on the top of page uh, 25. You alone shall rule over all you have made. On Mount Zion, the abode of your glory, and in Jerusalem, the city of your holiness, as it is written in your holy word, the Lord shall reign forever. Uh, Your God, O Zion, from generation to generation, uh, hallelujah. And then at the end of this next paragraph, it says, blessed are you, Lord, the holy king. Okay. It kind of reminds us of Mount Sinai and that God is king. Then it says, you have chosen us from among all peoples. You have loved us and favored us and have exalted us above all all tongues. You have set us apart through your commandments. Uh, Our king, you have drawn us near to your service. We are called by your great and holy name. That is zikaron, that is remembrance. That is, we're remembering the calling of God. We're remembering his covenant relationship with us. We're remembering our relationship with him as the king. And then it says, Be pleased, Lord our God, with your people Israel, and with their prayer restore the worship of your most holy sanctuary. Accept Israel's offerings and prayer with gracious love. May the worship of your people Israel always be pleasing to you. And so this becomes like a response to it, a response to God's kingship, his covenant, uh, and and, uh, the um, magnificent events that took place uh, at, uh, at, at Mount uh, Sinai, at Mount Sinai. And so uh, uh, these three uh, uh, themes of kingship, memory, and shofar, that is what we want to, uh, what we want to remember or what we want to really uh, focus on on this holiday. So in a few minutes, we're going to be reading a variety of verses about God's kingship, about remember about remembrance and about shofar and in between each one uh, Paul Weisberger will come and blow the shofar so that we're remembering these uh, these great uh, uh, themes when we remember God as a king uh, it's not just that he's the king <laughs> okay okay well, so what does it mean you, you know it's one thing to say he's the king It's another thing to respond to it, right? So when we say he is the king, uh, it means that our response is that we live as he desires. At Mount Sinai, so many things took place. Uh, One of them is is that Israel uh, acknowledged that God is king at Mount Sinai, okay? In a variety of ways. One is... If you look carefully in uh, Exodus chapter 19, in verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. This is the first time that we read that. Before this time, we don't read that uh, Israel, you shall be a kingdom. You shall be a kingdom. But here we read it. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy, uh, a holy nation. And it's kind of interesting that uh, when the children of Israel cross the, uh, the, the sea on the dry ground, did you notice what we read? It's on uh, page 19 in the uh, Machzor. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord will reign forever and ever. He's our king. And so there was an acknowledgement by Israel that God is king in the whole 
redemption event. The whole redemp- coming out of Egypt, going to the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea, and coming out on the other side. That uh, God is their king. Remember, Pharaoh had been their king, but now God is their king. In fact, even in another place, at the end of um, uh, the very end of the 25th chapter of Leviticus, uh, we see these words. For the sons of Israel are my servants, or the sons of Israel are my slaves. They are my slaves whom I brought out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The point of that is, is that I brought them out of Egypt. Pharaoh is no longer their king. I am their king. See? And then, of course, there are many, many, many passages that describe God as king. And in, in a Jewish liturgy, I mean, just think about it, right? Um, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Ha'olam, right? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the world. We, you ever wonder, what is the word universe in Hebrew? right? It's basically king of the world, king of everything, okay? So we say it in every, every prayer, when we eat, uh, when we go on a journey, uh, when, uh, we, whenever we pray, we acknowledge God is our, our king. So at Rosh Hashanah, may I suggest to us that the theme is here, remember Remember where you come from. Remember Sinai. Remember that you, you as a people embraced God as king. Okay? Because, let's face it, we forget that in a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the days uh, of the year. We're busy. We're involved. We have uh, uh, issues. We all have our story of our own lives. But we sometimes forget that I'm part of a larger story, that I'm part of a people that has acknowledged that God is our king and he gave us a way of life and, and we acknowledge that, yes, Lord, whatever you say, we'll do. Now, this is the story of Israel, but, but whoever embraces Yeshua comes under the kingship of God, right? And uh, we all say when we uh, embrace Yeshua, Lord, whatever you say, we'll do, right? Uh, and so how important it is uh, for us uh, indeed to, uh, to uh, recognize that and to remember that. So then there's memory, zichranot, zikaron, it's called zichranot, memory, right? We remember the covenant relationship. We remember the faithfulness of God. We remember again our communal experience at Mount Sinai. We don't have time to it, but if you read Deuteronomy chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, 10 and 11, okay, the great, great chapters, that the people that were living at the time when, the, when they're going to enter the land, Moses says, you are at Sinai. You were there. Well, he's saying it to us as well. And he even says that in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy. He says, whoever, whoever you know, when it, when whatever age they are, that uh, whenever they live, we're, we're, we're part of this event. Uh, and so we're part of a greater story uh, than ourselves. God has called us, right, 
to uh, acknowledge him as king and live a life that he gives to us. And we're called to remember the story. We're called to remember the story of Israel. We're called to remember it, the, the, the uh, victories, the difficult times, the captivities, the returns, all of it because God is involved in every aspect of our life when we come under his kingship, right? And so it's very important that we not only just acknowledge him as king, but remember the story, okay? Remember the story. And when we come to the issue of the shofar, it's remember the Sinai event itself. Remember the, the loud noise. Remember the blow, you know, the, the shofar sound, the voice of God. There was no form, but there was a voice. Remember it. That's what Moses tells the Israelites as they're about to enter the land. He says that in Deuteronomy. But you read it in the 16th verse of Exodus chapter 19 about the sound of that shofar. And so the, the theme of remembering the events of Sinai, uh, uh, remembering the, uh, the calling on Israel's life, remembering that God is indeed uh, uh, our, our king, is, is really what we're called to experience uh, uh, on this, uh, on this uh, holiday. Now, uh, we do have in the Bible, uh, we do have an, an example of uh, the celebration of, it, was, it might have been called Rosh Hashanah, might not have been called Rosh Hashanah, but it's a Nehemiah in the eighth chapter, okay? In the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, we actually see uh, uh, how, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, how this uh, holiday was celebrated. And it's kind of interesting. So uh, it says at the beginning, it says uh, in the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, and all the people gathered as one person in the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. There it is, first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. I just want you to get that, all right? Early morning to midday. It doesn't even say they had an Oneg luncheon afterwards, okay? Just so you know. All right. From, uh, from early morning to midday, in the presence of men and women and th those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Uh, we're going to come back. You'll see something kind of interesting about and those who could understand in just a minute. All right. Uh, and so Ezra, then he had people on his right side and his left side. And then it says in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Kind of interesting. When he opened the book, all the people stood up. Okay. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay. Uh, and then you have a list of a whole bunch of people. 
And what they did, in, see at the end of verse 7, they explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating it to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Okay. Uh, then it says, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? They were weeping because they were convicted. They were weeping because they had not heard it. I, I, they, and, but isn't it interesting? Nehemiah doesn't say, Keep weeping! All right? He doesn't say, keep crying, keep weeping, and repent. He doesn't say that. It's kind of interesting. But what does he say? He says, do not mourn or weep. Then he said, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your... Yeah, that's where that verse comes from. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. This is how the first day of the seventh month, uh, Rosh Hashanah, it's not called Rosh Hashanah here, but the first day of the seventh month, how it's observed. It's a Rosh Chodesh, it's the first day of the month, but clearly it is understood from Leviticus 23 to be a holy day uh, uh, to the Lord. So what is it? Is it sad or is it happy? It seems that Nehemiah wants the people uh, here uh, uh, to rejoice. Why does he want them to rejoice? Maybe because it's not about them. Maybe because they're part of something greater than themselves. And the fact that they're listening to the word of God, the fact that they're back in the land now, and the fact that they're in Jerusalem, uh, and even the fact that they're coming before God and weeping makes God pleased, pleases God. And, and so perhaps being joyous on this holiday is kind of like saying, this is not just about you. It's about God. And he rejoices when his people gather together. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, one thing, you know, it's an argument from silence. But Nehemiah doesn't say, hey, Quit repenting. You know, he doesn't do that either. He doesn't say you shouldn't repent. He doesn't say you shouldn't, uh, you, you know, you know uh, be right with God. But he sees the people weeping. And this makes God pleased that the people have now, like, returned, have turned, and can come back to God. And so it's sort of like it goes both ways. It, uh, our response should be to repent, Right? But on Rosh Hashanah, we rejoice because we remember that God is our king. And we remember our, the story of God's faithfulness uh, toward us. Uh, and we remember that, that, wow, remember Sinai? That's who we really are. That's, that's who we are. The problem today amongst our people is we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten our calling. We have forgot and so we just become another people group. 
we become just another ethnic group with a religious tradition. And that doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it. We have to recognize and remember on Rosh Hashanah, well, we are called by God, and we know what it means to be a kingdom of priests, doesn't it? We're called to be uh, the priests of the world. We're called to be the light of the world. We need to remember that. We need to, be, we need to wake up and say, wow, it's not just about what can God do for me now, and if I repent of my sins, I'll feel really good when I leave. No, it's about, wow, we're, God has a wonderful plan for this world, and we get to be a part of it, right? It's not about me, and it's not about any of us. It's about God and what he's called us to be, right? And when we live godly, it means we're living the way he's called us to be, so that we can be a light to, to others, to the nations. Now, we've been studying, uh, just to, to finish up here, we've been studying the book of Acts. And you know, there's, it's amazing, the relationship of Acts chapter 2 to Rosh Hashanah, to this issue of God as king and remembrance uh, and the event uh, and, uh, 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 and, and not only that, but even in Nehemiah, isn't it interesting that uh, the people hear the word, they hear, and, and it's translated for, they understand what's being said, and clearly the text says in Nehemiah chapter 8 that you had the Levites who explained it to them, and it says, translated it for them. And so you have just kind of like in Acts, remember what we were talking about? How uh, everyone could understand Galilean. The, 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 the language being spoken was Galilean, but they were hearing it. All those Jewish people were hearing it in, in different dialects. And it tells us, they, what did they hear? Remember we said that, uh, isn't it interesting that, you know, the text, it's not just that they heard it, it's that they understood it. And what did they understand? And it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 11, the great things of God. <laughs> That's what they understood. And they understood about uh, Yeshua and about, the, you know, that he died and rose from the dead. And then we have this great example in Peter's speech of what they heard. What did they hear? They heard that Yeshua is the king because he rose from the dead. He is the king and he brings salvation uh, and he is uh, the, uh, the Lord. And it's interesting because in those speech, that speech in chapter 2 and the speech in chapter 3 and all the other speeches remind the listeners of the story, of the big story of, God's, of, of what God is doing in this world and about how God sent Yeshua into this world to redeem the world. And remember how we said that what you read in Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the restoration of Israel. Remember your calling. God pours out the Ruach and empowers them to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. And so, uh, you know, as Messiah followers, uh, we have to recognize that we're part of the story. We're part of that story also. We're part of the story of the coming of the Messiah. We're part of the story of the pouring out of the Ruach. We're part of what God is doing in this world. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, last um, Shabbat, which was yesterday, uh, 
Uh, you know, in, in uh, uh, chapter 62 of Isaiah in verse 1, which was the Haftorah, and didn't uh, Abigail and Grace do a lovely job in expounding that text and reading it and so on, right? It says in 62.1, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. May I suggest to us that on, on, on Rosh Hashanah, may we remember our calling. May we remember our calling to uh, not keep silent and to not be quiet and to make sure that our people know that, that the Messiah has come and that his name is Yeshua. And remember that, listen, you know, uh, when, when we acknowledge Yeshua is king, it's always going to be on the uh, on the margins, right? It's on the it was in the on the margins then, and it's on the margins now, uh, and uh, and that's how it is. And so I hope that for us on this uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah, we remember these things: that God is our King, and that specifically Yeshua, the Messiah, is our King, and that we remember. The big story, the, the big story of what God is doing in this world, not only calling Israel to be a nation of, uh, uh, to be a uh, kingdom of priests, but also in the sending of the Messiah, uh, into this world. And may we remember when we think about the shofar, yes, the Sinai event, we're part of it, but we're also part of the Pentecost event, you know? I, uh, that's very important for us to, you know, to, to grasp onto. So what's the takeaway of this? Is the takeaway simply, hey, that's really interesting. Is the takeaway, uh, that, um, uh, now I kind of understand, uh, the themes of, uh, Rosh Hashanah. Or is the uh, takeaway, okay, I acknowledge God is my king. Uh, and I remember, uh, you know, we're part of a story that's larger than ourselves. May I suggest that the takeaway is twofold. One, first thing is this. This thing about we're part of a greater story than ourselves. It's not just about me living a fulfilled life. It's not just about me being forgiven of my sins. Oh, sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? It's not just about me being forgiven of my sins. It's about the redemption of this world, and it's about how God has called each of us as Messiah followers to be a part of it. So that means, on the ground, that every single thing that happens in our life is somehow part of our role in God's redemptive plan. Every single thing that happens in our life. So for example, uh, let's say, I'll use a couple of, a couple of examples. I remember Charles Colson, Chuck Colson. Remember him, right? Remember how he ended up going to prison and he becomes a believer and, you know, <laughs> leads many, 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 many people to the Lord, right? God was, at, God was at work. How does it work? I don't know, right? But God was at work in, in his life, right? What if you, uh, if, let's say you have to go to the hospital, right? Maybe... Part of God's big story is something you're going to say to a nurse, right? You know, when I was a student uh, many years ago at Moody Bible Institute, 
uh, there, was, there was this girl that is very sad, kind of sad, sad story. She uh, got um, uh, a disease, some kind of cancer. I don't know. I don't remember anymore what it was. She eventually went to be with the Lord. But she led her doctor to the Lord. And so her doctor came to a chapel uh, at the school and shared this about, about how he came to know the Lord from this girl. You see how we can be part of God's big story when we realize it's not about me, you know? It's not about me. Uh, and, you know, there's, a, there's lots of examples we could use. Let's say your car breaks down. Maybe you're going to say something to the tow truck driver. Or, you know, you'll make a difference in somebody else's life. Or at the supermarket. Or at the gym. Or, where, uh, or the flight attendant. Or whatever it may be. He's our king. It's not he's our king like Monday through Friday from 9 to 5. It's all the time. And we're part of this big story. So just like Israel, in the, how God speaks to Israel. Everything about Israel is part of God's story. What, everything that happens, the bad, the good. Read chapter 29 and 30 and 31 and 32 of Deuteronomy. That's what he, what he says. And in the middle of all that, by the way, he says, and the secret things belong to God. That's, you know, when Moses is saying that, you know what's going to happen, you're going to be disobedient, you're going to have to leave the land, you know, because he knows people are going to ask, why me? Why is this happening to me? That's not the right question, okay? The right question is, okay, how do I respond to this? How's God going to use this? Whether it's good, whether it's bad, no matter what it is. And that should motivate us to turn around and repent and say, Lord, okay, I want to I be on the right road. I want to be on the right path, Lord, because I want to make a difference. I want you to use me. So no matter what my situation is, Lord, use me, right? So that means staying on the path, right? Staying on the right road, not, you know, staying within the boundaries and not going off. But isn't it amazing that even when you go off, when you return to God, you can be way over here and God will immediately start using you wherever you are, you know? Uh, and, and so that's why repentance, you know, is, is, is that thing. So we're part of, part of a larger story. And then finally, just zeal, zeal for God, right? I'm sure, I don't, I don't remember what time I started, so I'm sure I'm out of time. But, uh, but I will say this, when you read the reaction in the second chapter of Acts, uh, when Peter gives the speech, it says their hearts were, were pierced, right? Remember what we said about that? Their hearts were pierced because they realized that, wow, we made a big mistake. He really is the Messiah, right? Remember we read Isaiah 53 about how that's actually prophesied in Isaiah 53. Wow, we made a big mistake. And then, uh, you know, uh, in Zechariah chapter uh, 12, same deal. They shall recognize him whom they have pierced right? Wow, we were wrong about him. That's what happens in the second chapter. What happens? So what does Peter say? Repent, be immersed. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the Ruach, right? And the next thing is they're consumed with the teaching of the apostles, uh, and they're, they're taking their property and giving it to those, you know, in need, and they're zealous. They're zealous for the things of God. That's the takeaway. May we be zealous 
to live for God, to live for Him, recognizing, remembering uh, these uh, great uh, truths. You know, uh, in uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this. Well, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. For the grace of God has appeared. Yeshua is called the grace of God. Isn't that great? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Isn't that an amazing statement? Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Not to make us feel good about ourselves, right? Zealous for good deeds, all right? That, that purify for himself a people for his own use, for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And then you know what the next verse says? These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you, just so you know. Okay? Uh, and so, uh, on uh, uh, this great holiday of uh, Rosh Hashanah, may we rejoice, one, that God receives us, that uh, he doesn't do away with us, and that he loves us, and he loves the fact that we are here, and we should celebrate our covenant relationship with God. But at the very same time, may we remember that he is indeed our king, and may we acknowledge him as our king, and may we acknowledge him by living on the path of wisdom, not just saying he's our king, and, and singing songs about him being our king, but may we live the way that our king desires. And we will see that just like the apostles, we will turn the world upside down. And that is what he's called us to do. And so on Rosh Hashanah, if we're going to repent of something, may we repent of forgetting. May we repent of forgetting who we are. May we repent of, for, of, of, of forgetting our calling. Uh, and may we uh, just uh, start walking on that road. Uh, and, uh, and as we journey through these uh, uh, holidays, uh, may it be a real time of transformation indeed for us, both personally, maybe in our families, and as a community. And so, uh, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, uh, thank you for Rosh Hashanah, and thank you that we can rejoice, and we can celebrate, and and uh, have big meals and be thankful, Lord, because you uh, have uh, redeemed us and that, you, you know, you have brought us back from the pit. Uh, and uh, uh, God, uh, may uh, this uh, a holiday uh, be uh, truly a rich experience and may it be a sweet uh, and joyful uh, year as we become more of a part of your big story, Lord. Yes, uh, may it indeed uh, be uh, uh, that kind of year. And thank you, Lord, that as Messiah followers, our names are indeed inscribed in, in your book. And uh, God, uh, indeed, we thank you. And uh, we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.